Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, where the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. Our guest this week is journalist Chris Decker, the creator of Low Tech Magazine, a blog published in English, Dutch, and Spanish that covers low-tech solutions in great depth and detail. It's just about my favorite blog. On the podcast, we discuss some of his research, such as Chinese wheelbarrows, firebox cookers, fruit walls, open modular hardware, and even the advantages of an intermittent internet. And now, our conversation with Chris Decker. So, Chris, um, tell me the tell me how Low Tech Magazine got started. Well, I, I was working as a journalist, as a freelance journalist, in uh, Belgium for like. 10, 12 years, and I was covering mostly high-tech uh, subjects. So I basically interviewed all the the engineers and the and the scientists about all the high-tech stuff. Did you did you get kind of burned out on that? Is that and and thought well, th- this other world of low-tech stuff just isn't I don't know, just isn't getting the attention that it deserves. Well, mm, burned out, not really, but I. I came to realize that uh, all these new technologies, yeah, they they bring more problems than they solve, actually. So that was what I kind of discovered in, in after all these years that, um, yeah, engineers always come with uh, with a high tech solution to solve any some kind of problem. And but in the end, it, things just get things just get worse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, and energy use goes up. And, and not down. So, yeah, I kind of realized that this is not the way to go. And then I kind of, um, when I moved to Spain, I kind of accidentally stumbled upon some old technologies that that were quite intriguing. And, um, yeah, then came the idea to let's just start a blog that uh, says the opposite of what everybody else is saying. Yeah, so you you have a section in your blog called High Tech Problems, which kind of covers a lot of, of I, there's a word in English, externalities of things that people don't think about, unintended yeah. consequences of, of some of these technologies. Uh, and you have a, a quite a few very sobering examples, actually. Yeah, it's a little depressing, but <laughs> completely fascinating. So all of the yeah. favorite things that um, the the green folk like talking about, like LEDs and PV panels and uh, high speed trains and biofuels, you you take those all apart in the high tech problems tab of your <laughs> of your blog. Um, yes. Do you uh, want to talk about any of your um, well, that a, a photo, good example? Yeah, that photovoltaic one is, is... sobering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, if if the block would be just that, then of course it would be very depressing. <laughs> but um, that's why it's only one of the of the parts of the block. So there's also the low tech solutions, and then they're a kind of answer to an alternative to that. Right. But yeah, it's. Um, all the things that these days uh, um, people have put their hopes on, like electric cars and, and LED lights and all this stuff, it, they're not really working if you if you just count on, on these things. If you just count on the technology, you just get more energy use because you make things more efficient and then the consequence is always that new applic- applications appear and people start using these things more and, and energy use goes up. Or uh, there is also uh, something that, that always returns is the embodied energy. So many of these so-called green technologies, well, it takes lots of energy and, and exotic materials to, to ma- manufacture them. And that's usually forgotten when, uh, yeah, when these things are presented as uh, solutions. And it's not that, that they are completely useless or so... so um, Energy efficient technology can be useful if you combine it with kind of with setting limits on on energy production or consumption. But if you just count on on these um, techno solutions, then nothing will change, or at least not in a good way. You said um, when you were talking about uh, PV panels that something I found very interesting, which was that as they are being manufactured and installed now they are not sustainable. 
But if they were manufactured in the right place and installed in the right place, they might be sustainable. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, that's a very funny thing, actually. So we, we most solar panels are in like countries where there's not much sun, actually. Like, um, yeah, my home country, Belgium, it's like when you travel through that country, you see so many solar panels, but you never see sun. <laughs> and, yeah, that's a bit strange. And the same like in Germany, you also have lots of solar panels. And then if you go like here in Spain, there's almost no one having solar panels. And that's um, that's a pity because in these uh, sunny climates, they, it's really a useful uh, technology. But if you um, install them in, in rainy countries, then, um, yeah, you, of course, you get less energy from them during their lifetime. And at the same time, what's also happening is that manufacturing of these panels, which used to uh, happen in countries like Germany with a very, um, like, a relatively clean energy grid, um, that kind of, since 2009, this whole manufacturing moved to China. And there you have the electricity grid is very um, carbon intensive. So um, the result is that the, um, you, you produce lots of, uh, of, of carbon emissions while uh, producing them, while manufacturing these panels. And then you put them in places where, where the grid um, power that they replace is actually relatively clean. And um, then the result is uh, it's very... Um, disappointing actually in in terms of um, of what you win in in less carbon emissions and if you would do it the other way around if you would manufacture them in germany and then install them in china where the the grid is very carbon intensive then mm. then you are making progress but but yeah that's not happening do you uh, what's the end of this then i mean is, is just the climate just warm up and eventually we have to stop or what do you see <laughs> as the bit, end game for uh, that's a very grim question yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it seems like it's a very systemic problem and uh well i think maybe uh, maybe a better way to put it because you're asking him to <laughs> talk about our doom perhaps uh, maybe we should we should say why why do we persistently seek our solutions in new technology and and why do we seek so blindly within technology well that's because we um we keep believing and we we don't want to stop believing that um we should change our lifestyle so all these technological solutions are meant to be able to continue what we call a modern lifestyle like uh, being able to, to travel anywhere um, anytime that we want to eat whatever we want to consume all the energy we want and the the idea behind this uh, green technology is that we just switch from dirty to, to clean power and everything is solved. And, um, you know, the, the car becomes the electric car. Um, uh, we, can, we don't have to use less lights. We just change the light technology. Um, and then, yeah, that's, of course, what, what many people love to hear. And that's what it's also what everybody agrees on. If you, it's what politicians say. It's what even green parties say, some environmental organizations it used to be like in the 70s, there was still this um, message of we should kind of maybe change our way of life and, and consume less energy. But that somehow in, in recent, year, recent years, this, this message got completely um, forgotten. So now everybody thinks that it's just by switching the technology, you, you're going to solve it, the, our problems. And that's a bit naive. Yeah, it seems that, that all the... Um what's the word for it, appropriate technology movement of the 70s went away in the 80s. And one of the things that really attracted me to your blog was that you're almost a lone voice now in terms of profiling interesting, older, low-tech technologies. And I wondered if we could go through some of our favorites and your favorites. And, that, and that'll I mean, make us feel better because yeah, exactly. now we're sad. <laughs> Um, okay. And go you, ahead. you actually mentioned when you you came to Spain that you noticed some some interesting low tech things. I wondered if there were some examples from Spain. From, yeah. yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah, of course. When I came to live here, it was a new uh, like a new environment for me. And um, one of the first things I discovered was the the technique of uh, Catalan vaulting. It's in all the the older buildings here. 
and it's a it's a building technique that you um, you you need very little uh, construction material to um, to make an arch or a staircase or something. And um, it's a technique that's being rediscovered now in in uh, recent years because it's cheap, it's it's durable, and um, yeah, it's just, it's sustainable. So. Um, and it's it's a very good example of it's a technique that originally was developed in the Middle Ages, and then it was um, at the end of the 19th century it was like uh, brought to perfection by the what you call here the modernismo. It's the the architectural um, architecture of those days. And and then you see like in I guess it was 2009 or something that some people in England started building again with these uh, techniques and and so you see that uh, very old technologies if you look look at them with like modern eyes and you kind of well sometimes you can just copy them but but more often you just kind of you can improve them with like our modern knowledge uh, we learned a lot uh, since that time um, sometimes you can improve them using uh, more modern materials or or uh, measuring instruments so um, many of these old um, approaches can still be improved and for many years they have been kind of um, forgotten and consequently also nobody kind of continued the the evolution of these technologies so there's a lot to to uh, of profit to gain actually we were we were talking about solar power recently, and you had an example on the blog of a, a almost a form of solar power, and that is the fruit wall, uh, yeah. a way of growing vertical gardens. I wonder if you could uh, describe that very fascinating history. Yeah, it's also first of all, it's another great example of how very often I find things that um, I didn't expect to find also because I was writing about the solar greenhouses and this kind of fruit wall, I found it somewhere in some reference and then there's a whole new world that opens up. So with every article you write about uh, some old technology, you have five more old technologies popping up. And this was one of them. And um, I was surprised to learn that, uh, say, the origins of the greenhouse, the glass greenhouse, um, originally uh, didn't involve any glass at all. So what people did initially was um, they built walls of, of brick and um, they planted the, the crops, the fruit trees, very close to these walls. And because the sun fell on these walls and heated the, the bricks, they, um, they managed to grow uh, Mediterranean um, fruits in northern climates. So they went as high as uh, the Netherlands, England, the north of England. And they managed to, um, to grow peaches and, and, and grapes and stuff like that um, only by uh, solar energy. So there was no electricity involved or, or anything. It was just basically a wall um, put in the right um, direction and, um, and great skill. Of, uh, of how to manage these trees to grow uh, on these walls. And you had pictures on the blog of kind of mazes of these walls. So they were almost they look like, like cubicles yeah. or foundations of oh, houses. Right. Or they're, yeah, it's not just, you know, a garden wall. It's, it's, it's like a, a whole orchard, basically. It's a specific structure. Yes. So yeah. in, in some places, like uh, there was a neighborhood in Paris where it became really like, uh, yeah, let's say a kind of industry that um, very close to the city, there was a, on a, on a quite large scale. I, I think they um, had in total 600 kilometers of, of these fruit walls in a, in a, all in a huge maze um, around the city. So it was a bit like, um, say, urban agriculture, but then uh, before the word was, it was invented. And um, yeah, little of that remains these days, but, but it, it happened on a quite large uh, scale, yes. It's interesting uh, that you, you mentioned that it, it took knowledge to do this, and I think that maybe is always the key defining point between a low-tech solution and a high-tech solution is expertise. Like the people who managed these walls knew their fruit, and they knew their climate, they knew the sun, they knew the properties of the walls. It was a specialized skill, whereas... Yeah. Um, 
our, our, our fuel-based technologies allow for unspecialized skills. So you can just heat a building and nobody has to know about the sun or the climate or anything, or you, yeah. you can um, manufacture glass in a, inexpensively and just heat a greenhouse and grow your berries in a greenhouse and never have to think very deeply about the berries or the climate. Yeah, exactly. You know. So one of the that's actually the reason one of the reasons why it disappeared is that it took lots of skill in in pruning the the trees and um, when the um, when the railways came um, yeah it became cheaper to just grow the grapes in the south and then bring them all the way to uh, to Paris and it's indeed like you say it's uh, it's a common uh, theme in in the evolution of of modern technologies that everything becomes less well, more convenient, basically any idiot should be able to operate anything and and skills are yeah are regarded obsolete actually in a, in a sense you mm. know in a way, not just with the fruit walls but but anything else uh, that people did to use to rely on on skill where it food preservation um, or or uh, yeah agriculture is a very good example and and from the moment that fossil fuels appear, you see also that technology becomes universal, kind of universal solution. The technology that's based on fossil fuels is the same everywhere in the world. So um, the buildings that are now built are uh, whatever place in the world you go, the, the buildings all look the same. And if you look at traditional architecture, you see that every um, place in the world had its own style of of architecture that was really suited to this place. Like um, I was watching the images of the earthquake in, in Ecuador yesterday, and you see that it's the modern buildings that collapsed and, and the bamboo or, or cane buildings are still there. So it's that's a, a big uh, paradigm shift in, in technology that it becomes everywhere the same. And, and skill, yeah, the, mm. the skill fact has, has completely disappeared, the skill part. I want to jump to another of my favorites on your blog, which was the Chinese wheelbarrow, which... I think that's a big favorite universally. I think they've gotten around. It gets, it gets around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People like that one. And it's interesting. I mean, it's an example of... Um, I mean, I, I have an image in my mind of what a wheelbarrow should look like. Uh, but this is... A, a, it's a configuration I would never have, have imagined. You want to say something about the Chinese wheelbarrow and what, what it is and what it advantages are? Well, the Chinese wheelbarrow was, um, well, it was a, a wheelbarrow with one wheel, but in the middle, a very large wheel in the middle. And um, it was like the, the European wheelbarrow, um, which is also the American wheelbarrow, I suppose, mm. was actually uh, meant for short distances. But the Chinese kind of developed this uh, vehicle into a medium, long distance transportation um, solution. And they kind of, um, yeah, kept their empire running uh, in combination with the canals, because the Chinese also constructed lots of canals early in the, in the history. But these wheelbarrows were, um, were used to kind of, um, for land transportation of basically anything, of, of goods, of, of uh, cargo, uh, food, but also people could, could be on the wheelbarrow. And the great advantage was that uh, it, it needed a very small road because you just have one wheel and, and, and one or, or two people uh, pulling or pushing it, sometimes with the help of animal power, sometimes with, with sails on top of it. And the Chinese... Uh, does manage to uh, maintain a very performant transportation network with very little uh, money for maintenance to, to keep the roads uh, uh, working. And that was very different from what happened um, uh, when the Roman Empire uh, collapsed. The Romans built uh, all through Europe, they built very good roads, but um, wide roads. And when the empire collapsed, they could not really, nobody maintained them. And after a couple of centuries, they were basically gone. And Europe only got um, a good road network in the 18th, 19th century. So it took a long time to recover from that. And the Chinese kind of downsized their transportation network. So both the vehicle and the, and the roads. And um, 
yeah, they, they had uh, no uh, interruption in their land transportation uh, ever in history. So does the does the Chinese wheelbarrow still exist in any kind of form? Or is I, I, I noticed someone, you had a picture somewhere of someone a, kind of adapting it as a, a baby carriage is it did it did it survive or did it did it just go away yeah well you you can see it i saw it in some african countries some people send me pictures that where they were still using it and then now there are some um people who kind of um uh, took the concept of the old wheelbarrow the chinese wheelbarrow and translated into a modern version like uh, you see very good the influence of, of bicycle technology in the newer version and yeah, it's again a, a new um, example of how you could take an old idea, an old technology, and then make a modern version of it. Of course, it's just uh, the wheelbarrows. We don't have the road network and, and everything. So I think we're still far uh, from um, seeing lots of wheelbarrows crossing the country. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but you do actually have a lot of examples of modern adaptations. And uh, one interesting idea that you have is open modular hardware. Uh, do you want to describe what that is? Yeah, so everybody, I, I think uh, in the States it's called, um, how is it called again? I, Mechano? No. no, I don't know. I don't know, actually. Constructor. Could it be Constructor? I don't... It's, mm. it's this kind of toys from older times. Oh, They're oh. Metal toys, and they are, like, also modular. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, right. Oh, no, now I've gone no, blank. I, I know what you're talking about. Constructors or what are those called? Erector? Erector sets. Erector sets. Yeah, that's Erector Yes. So, so <laughs> this used to be a very uh, popular toy in... I, from the 30s until the 70s, 80s or something. And um, it basically allows you to build anything you want with, uh, with these things. Because everything, every um, part fits into another part. You can combine any, any part with any other one. And um, the open modular hardware is, um, is based on the same idea. Also Lego is, is, a, is an example of this. So that you build, um, say, furniture or a vehicle or an electric device, and you, any every part for that um, thing you build, you make sure that it's modular, so that it can be um, a device could be taken apart again, and any um, part could be used again to build another device. And um, that would be great because now we make a device, we don't use it anymore, we throw it away. So you have, um, you lose all the energy and the materials that have been invested in that, uh, in that product. Plus you kind of create a waste problem. And um, if you would make sure that any, any part of everything could be used again, then you just, yeah, you start all over again. And that would, um, yeah, that would be a very good idea. I've always fantasized about having a, a laptop computer that is modular, you know, that I could just take out the old hard drive, put a new one in, uh, you know, they never have to throw the body of it away. Or maybe I yes. could get a new body and someone else could use the, my old body or whatever. But I, I do hate the wastefulness of the electronics that we depend upon to do things like this podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, with electronics, it's a bit of a special case because uh, it's going so fast. And so I, I would say about like electronics, internet, um, podcasts and, and stuff like that. By itself, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the computer. There's nothing wrong with a mobile phone. The problem is that uh, we kind of use um, over a lifetime, we use like 30 mobile phones and 15 laptops, each one of us. Um, so the, the life expectancy of these these devices is extremely short. And... Partly as a consequence of that, uh, it takes much more energy to produce the the, um, the computer, for instance, than than the energy that you use while using it. So, the the big problem is the the energy in manufacturing. And if we could somehow uh, manage to keep our computers and our phones in use for say 10, 15, 20, 30 years, I mean, in earlier uh, decades in the 20th century, when you bought a device it kept working for, for your whole life. That was kind of the philosophy of those days. 
factories didn't want to produce anything that fell apart after two years. And these days, it's the norm. It's mm. how economical growth is being fueled, basically. And so I wouldn't go as far as to say that um, electronics, computers, podcasts are a problem. It's just the way that this, um, yeah, the, the, the turnover of this technology is, is, is problematic. It's very problematic. And... Yeah, mm. I don't know. A modular approach could could help here, but it's more like an economical uh, problem than than a technological problem. It's a big mm. problem now yeah. with the internet. Actually, you had you also had some interesting ideas about the architecture of it. Um, I, I actually discovered I got a ham radio license a few years ago and okay. discovered that um, the 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 Wi-Fi lay is within that um, within the ham radio frequencies, allowing anyone with a license to power up uh, Wi-Fi devices to a very high level. And people have used that to create alternate networks. And you had a whole fascinating blog post on it. Essentially, uh, I, I guess you'd say democratizing the internet in a way and making. Uh, changing the architecture of it so that we're not dependent on companies, but are creating our own our own networks. Because that's a yeah. big open-ended question. But um, since we're using the internet right now, do you want to say how <laughs> that would, um, how an alternate yeah, well, version of it would work? I, of course, I've gotten often uh, the remark like, "Haha, this guy is writing about low tech and is doing it on right, the internet." Right. Mm. So that's why I got finally like, okay. Let's look at the internet because um, I cannot ignore that uh, that topic. And I discovered that the internet can be as low tech and as high tech as you want it to be. So at the moment, it's it's evolving towards a, a extremely energy intensive, uh, resources devouring um, problem. But it could be very different, and um, that's that's the the sustainable uh, thing. But there's also like the 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 power issue, like uh, companies like Facebook are getting so much power that it it would be interesting to kind of imagine an alternative. And um, the technology, as I described in this article, the technology is there. So uh, Wi-Fi is so versatile, actually, that you that we could build our own internet um, by just every one of us could become an internet node, and every one of us could power this internet node with with the solar panel or something and um, it would um, be a similar network in the sense that we could keep doing everything most of the things we do but nobody would own it and um, also it um, it allows to make the internet much more sustainable you can you can go quite far like uh, what they do in in developing countries they they make networks that are not um, always operating but kind of um, have inter um, intermediate no yeah intermittent yeah intermittent um, connections and so they built up a whole um, kind of alternative of using the internet without being uh, connected always connected and that works it kind of uh, you just have to wait a bit longer for your emails um, but many things remain possible with a with a um, with such an internet with an intermittent internet <laughs> right and uh, I think it's it's um, it could be a solution for the high energy use of the internet, but it I think it's also important for our um, say our spiritual life because these days people are completely glued to their screens. I don't know how it is in the states. Yeah, yeah same thing. If you take a train, then then you could basically um, get naked on a train and nobody will notice. <laughs> Everyone is really glued to their screen, and I think it's. Um, I, I hear many people also complaining that they cannot concentrate on their work because they're constantly right. um, being interrupted. Mm -hmm. And such an intermittent uh, internet could be a solution, actually. Just like a couple of hours a, a day, you you do everything. Um, so, for instance, how does it work with the emails? You you write the emails, you send them, and the, the infrastructure keeps them um, in storage until there is power available, because every node, for instance, has a solar panel and only works when the sun shines. So your email will eventually uh, end up at its destination. 
but in, you don't have to expect an immediate answer or um, the same with, with search engines. You, um, you do your searching and there's, there's great programs to do like offline searching. And um, you search everything today and tomorrow you will receive a mail with all your results. So it's another way of working that is kind of a compromise. It doesn't give all the possibilities of the Internet we have today, but still a lot would be possible and for like um, only a fraction of the energy use. Oh, that's uh, such a good idea. You know, it's, think- it's funny. It's a, Well, we're saying it's a good idea, whereas like 99% of people would say, that's a terrible well, idea. Except, because I, I mean, because we've yeah. come to a point where we, you know, are seeing, where we're realizing how distracting the internet is for us. So on like a philosophical level, we understand why that is actually an excellent idea. Well, I think if it actually happened, everyone would be so relieved. Uh, but but you would have to pry it out of their hands. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Because we're all addicted right. to it. You know, it's, it's hard. Uh, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And, and um, I don't have, uh, I'm not, uh, I have a mobile phone, but it's a very simple one. You can only call with it. And um, I, I wouldn't want to change because I see, um, I, I would not be immune to this. Eh? I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not different. So the only way of, of not doing this is not having such a phone. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be hard, especially like, okay, the world is not ready for that. I, I realize that people have just, um, yeah, they're completely into this. But I guess it will, after a while, uh, people will realize first that it uses lots of energy. It's now many people just don't have a clue about that. They, they drive, they, they ride their bicycle and, and eat organic foods. And they, they're constantly on their smart, smartphone, not realizing that they kind of, yeah, destroy all their efforts on <laughs> with food and transportation. Yeah, I didn't realize how like how much energy a smartphone or a laptop takes to drive. You know, it's more like hauling around a refrigerator or something even larger. You know, we we think yeah. they're they look so innocuous. They're so small and light and you know apple is so good at making them you know look yep. harmless <laughs> but it's yes. actually this huge uh, energetic burden that you're you're carrying with well, you that's and, sucking and then the the infrastructure behind th- it, that's what i mean storage, the infrastructure right? is yeah. huge yes. uh that, that required to run your sleek little tiny phone in your pocket yeah it's quite complex so you have the network infrastructure which is their energy use went up extremely by um by uh, 4g and 3 3g um mobile internet and then you have the data centers that's already better known um and then you have the manufacture of all these devices from both the mobile phones but also the network devices and the data the servers in the data centers and then <laughs> the smallest part is actually the energy you use to charge your phone and that's why people, of course, um, think that it's all not so bad because, yeah, charging your phone is not really draining your, well, if you have solar panel, your batteries. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it doesn't use so much energy charging your phone, but it's all um, kind of hidden, the whole energy use. And then it's hard to um, get people um, to realize what's going on. I mean, I wrote the article about this and it became a, very long. And I didn't manage to make it shorter because it's really a very complex thing to to explain it good. And that doesn't really help, um, yeah, <laughs> to make people think about it. Oh, well, let's go. And it's also, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah, well, it's also kind of these um, mobile phones and mobile internet. It's, it's what these days... It's considered a bit like the, the highest of technology. It's, it's what everybody's following. It's what everybody's waiting for, the next iPhone. It's a bit what distinguishes the 21st century from everything that went before. It's like what it means to be modern is to have a mobile phone and internet access everywhere. So it's, um, it's as sensitive as saying like people, um, you should maybe get out of your cars and take a bike. It's at least uh, as sensitive as that mm-hmm. because also... Um, you also have actually uh, non-electric alternatives for computers and phones, but then that's typewriters and letters and stuff. And <laughs> that's hard to sell. <laughs> <laughs> it is what we cling to, I think, as our identity. I was on a rant the other day talking about the lack of craft in our culture. You know, we yeah. were driving it uh, around in downtown Los Angeles, and you can see the 
we still have we have some beautiful old buildings in Los Angeles, and, and I think the beautiful buildings stopped being built around the twenties, the nineteen twenties, and anything yeah. after that is just ugly as oh god, <laughs> just awful. And we're building some new uh, highest skyscrapers ever in Los Angeles now, and they're they're hideous and. And this is just architecture, but it's in everything. Like, oh, the way our clothing is made, uh, the way our homes are made, everything, you know, is sort of a degraded uh, because of lack of yeah. craft and skill. And yeah. and and we're building this sort of. Uh, this is part of my dark rant that I was on. So we're building this this ugly world and and draining the natural world of all of its resources just to build uglier and uglier things. And, and I yes. was thinking about old cultures, you know, which were exploitative, like, um, like a medieval land baron was not a nice guy and he was not good to the peasants and the peasants had a very difficult life, but they left behind amazing things that we still appreciate and enjoy, you know? And I'm like, what are we leaving behind? Nothing. What is our, yep. what is the accomplishment of our, of our time? And it's like, well, it's it's the internet, it's our mobile phones. That is what it is. That's what everybody's going to point at. You know, no, we're leaving behind no architecture that will last. We're leaving behind no art. We're leaving behind nothing but the internet, which is funny because it's extremely ephemeral. Yes, <laughs> you know? we'll be gone in the moment. There's no more energy. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> so it is. It is our entire identity. So that's just to get back to the fact, like you know, we're not going to, you know, you can't take it away from us because it's what we have built. Yeah, I think the the problem is that our generations are not, we don't care about the future anymore. And that was the difference with, um, with earlier cultures. There was always, people took into account um, future generations. And many um, of the, say you're talking about architecture, if you look at uh, medieval ch churches, for instance, and even some other buildings, Many of them were built over generations. So it took like here in, in the cathedral in Barcelona took like 600 years to build. And um, this was very common in, in earlier times to just work on things that you in your lifetime, you would not even see them finished. And, and we don't do that anymore. Like we look maybe yeah five or 15 years into the future that's already um that's a long quite time far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean politicians don't even get that far because they just see the next election mm -hmm. but but you see it everywhere it's like there's a, as if after as if the future stops in in five or ten years time we don't care anymore that that's what what in, in all the things like we we build buildings that are very ugly but also that will never last as mm -hmm. long as the, the buildings from medieval times. Like a great example is also that when they, they put like, uh, they were building castles and then they put in, in like the, the lane to drive to the castle, they put the trees that would be used 300 la years later to replace the wooden um, parts in the building, the wooden structure of the building. Oh, wow, they're thinking ahead. Yeah, they were really thinking ahead and um, somehow, um, yeah, when exactly, that's a good question, but uh, somewhere in 20th century, we said, oh, that, we just, oh, I can't. <laughs> that's okay. America. Anyway, we said, um, we don't, we don't care about the future anymore. Um, we just care about the now. And that's, that's what you see all around us. It's like mm -hmm. things that are built for now and, and that's it, we... Like you say, we are stripping the whole natural world for us, for what we want now. And of course, that implies that in 100 years time, uh, people who are living then, yeah, will have to do it with much less because we used it all. Oh, okay. I think that's a moral issue. That, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I, uh, I was thinking about our um, our wealthy people. You know, we have this great wealth disparity, again, sort of a medieval wealth disparity. And yet yeah. our, our wealthy do not seem to feel the need to uh, invest in, you know, invest in art architecture in the future. I mean, they used to gain prestige from supporting artists or building cathedrals, giving money, you know, to build the cathedrals or their, or even their own castles or whatever. You know, we still, we still uh, appreciate those spaces. Um, and I don't know where all the money goes now, really, because there's a lot of it in the world, but it's not going to making things that last. 
Uh, no, it's used for often quite bad things, actually. Mm. Yeah, the whole financial system is, of course, uh, in need of a um, rehaul. <laughs> well, let's uh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> move back from the brink here. Uh, but, uh, in the short, short time we have remaining, I wanted to ask you about a few more things. Okay, let's, of... let's, let's think about things that we can deal with. <laughs> yes, like, <laughs> like, I can't deal with any of that. Right. <laughs> but um, well, I, I mean, am, that's, well, I want to say something about the, that oh. I appreciate about your blog, Chris, is that you do focus on actually simple solutions that we all can get our heads around. I mean, yeah. We kind of were looking at some We were looking at some of the big stuff, stuff but, but your blog is full of... Uh, nice doable examples, things, yeah. things that one could actually do or adopt in their own life, even if yeah. the culture at large is is ignoring them. <laughs> and one of them would be yeah. fireless cookers, fireless cookers, yeah. which I wanted to make sure we touched on because I'm experimenting with a, a solar oven this summer, and uh-huh. I uh, and I had just come to the conclusion that I needed to pair the solar oven with a fireless cooker. Uh, yeah. to uh, to make this work. <laughs> it's a whole, like learning how to cook solar. Again, we're talking about that, that uh, you know, you need a knowledge base. You need a certain amount of discretion and subtlety to learn, you know, how does this technology work? Uh, you know, I, it is not a direct analog to cooking uh, on a stovetop with flame. It's It's different. And, you know, there's a lot... There's a learning curve, which I'm dealing with. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. but I wanted – you have a, a very extensive article on fireless cookers and their history and suggestions um, for their use um, and the most efficient way of using fireless cookers. And I wondered if there was anything you wanted to uh, – I know it's a lot because I know it's a very long article, but is there anything you want to say about fireless cookers? Yeah, I was um, – like many, I think I knew them from um, – the appropriate technology movement from the 70s um, when they were quite popular. So the, the fireless cooker, just a big box with the hay inside, and then you, you keep um, the, the already boiling uh, pot, for instance, you keep it boiling there um, only by insulation. But um, while I was doing research, I, to my surprise, I found out that in the earlier uh, decades, like in the 1920s, I think it was around that time, that these fireless cookers were actually um, a common element of, of, of any Western kitchen. So um, the, the the cooking stove of that time, they had like um, they had them built in. So it was a very normal thing to uh, first uh, light the fire, uh, bring the food to boil, and then put uh, an insulating cover over the pot so that it kept boiling without any further use of energy. And somehow that element got lost. I mean, disappeared from our kitchens, um, of course, because energy became cheaper and um, more abundant. We had enough fossil fuels. So we kind of stripped all this efficiency out of the of the cooking uh, technology and just kept uh, the, com- the most convenient way of, of doing things. But you uh, you found out that the like our our stovetops or hobs, I think as they're called in uh, Europe, it, it, they're, they're not even as efficient as a well-tended fire. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that's because, of course, because, I mean, a fire is usually taken as the, the, the example of the, the inefficient uh, cooking of, of the past. But it's actually, if you use fire to directly heat uh, food, it's quite efficient, especially if you know how to tend the fire, because... That's also, that's a skill again. Um, and if you do it with electricity, like many of us do it now, then you basically have somewhere a big power plant that um, uses heat, then converts that heat into electricity, then sends that electricity over the dis- distribution network, and then converts that electricity back to heat. So you have two energy conversions here, and you lose so much energy um, of, of what you put in. So um, it's very convenient, an electric cook stove, but um, it's very inefficient. It's the most inefficient thing you could imagine. It's uh, cooking with an electric uh, stove. Um, but we don't see it that way because, um, yeah, we got so used to it that, that it became normal. It's cheap. So why would you care? You know, like no, nobody has to think about it. Uh, no, that's a, like energy is cheap. That goes for oil, for, for the cars and the electricity. Um, that we power all our gadgets with. But that's another difficult part because um, 
politicians uh, usually don't say like we're gonna make energy ten times more expensive because <laughs> to get us yeah. to be more efficient with our use. Yeah, that's sort of like water here. Like our water is still very inexpensive, even though we're in a drought. But yeah. you know, sometimes I think that you know raising the price of water would be the only thing that would help change behavior. It would surely help. Yeah. yeah. And um, but of course, it's it's like. The whole thinking behind electricity, behind water, is like it's this um, predict and and supply uh, paradigm. Like we consider all these utilities as something that always has to be available, and politicians are kind of like they're tied to this um, way of thinking about it. Because if from the moment you say like, okay, uh, we're gonna raise the price, and it's admitting that there are supply problems and it kind of doesn't really, um, it's not what being modern is. It's, you're not gonna um, use less. Well, Chris, we're, we're getting near the end of our time here, um, but are there any things that you're working on right now? You have very long articles with lots of footnotes, and I'm curious what you're interested in now and, and working on for the future of, of Low Tech Magazine. Um, well, the big problem is the long list of articles to uh, finish. <laughs> <laughs> because like I said, um, every time you research one topic, there's five other topics coming coming up. So um, it's a bit uh, frustrating sometimes. But I'm now, um, one of the things I'm doing is um, I'm kind of converting my office to, to solar. And that made me... Um, because I live in an apartment, that's not so easy, but I kind of managed. So I'm actually now talking to you on a solar-powered computer. Very nice. And, um, yeah, I learned a lot from that, uh, how we actually look at energy is a kind of part of the problem. Like I said, like we, we think it should always be available, but if, if you kind of generate your own energy, electricity, you, you look at it very differently. And you kind of... Um, yeah, it's easier to to be more conscious of what amount of energy you use. So I'm, I'm probably the next article is uh, is about that, about how off grid systems can be can help in in lowering um, energy use substantially. So did you just throw a panel out on a balcony or something, or and, and you have batteries? How do, what does your what does your apartment solar system look like? Uh, yeah, it's actually balconies and windowsills. Yeah, and. Kind of, um, I even started with solar panels inside. Uh, I have, I have good, I have lots of sun here, and um, yeah, it works. It works because um, they are so visible. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them now, so I really um, know today I have lots of energy because there's lots of sun. And tomorrow, when it's cloudy, I will, yeah, I know, so I will do something else than um, work on my computer the whole day. <laughs> That's great. And that's that's very, wonderful. <laughs> and that's really a kind of um, like emotional attachment to to energy production that that is completely lost in our um, big infrastructure, invisible infrastructure of of uh, the electric grid. We just um, we don't think about it when we use electricity. We just uh, flick the switch and and that's it. And with a, with a with a small system, if you're producing it yourself, you look at it very differently. That's it's it almost hooks with like an idea of a gift economy. It's a bit of a stretch because it's like the gift is the gift of the sun. But I've been thinking a lot lately about how when something is acknowledged as a gift, it is used more carefully, um, yeah. and we take less. Like if somebody you like very much has, say, a basket of fruit, and they offer you some, and they say you know, would you like some fruit? You know, you might take one or two pieces and you would appreciate them. Uh, you yeah. would not empty their whole basket <laughs> and not even say thank you and run away um, because, you know, we we understand the scarcity of gifts and we understand the importance of gifts. And, and, and I've been thinking about that in terms of our relationship with the natural world, with, you know, like the uh, the plants and the food and, and such. But the sun is part of that. Um, the sun is a gift yeah. Energy is a gift that comes down upon us like a miracle. <laughs> but as you say, yes. we, we do not think about it. We know we just expect, like spoiled children, that we will have all of the energy we want all of the time. But if we thought yes. of it as a gift that comes with a sunny day, then we'll, we would appreciate that power when it came into our house. And we'd be grateful for it and use it effectively when it comes in. 
And then, yeah, and find other ways to spend their time when that gift is not present. You know, so I really like that. I like that idea. Exactly. Yeah. And I, it's a bit similar to what if you grow your own food, you also um, you enjoy it more. I yes. guess you know that. Yes. And, and um, you also you you're not gonna throw it away. If you cannot finish it, you will be sure to 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 keep it, to store it, and to do something else with it the next day. Um, mm-hmm. So if you know how much effort it takes and how much uh, love it takes to to grow your own food, then you're going to be much more, um, you're not going to be much less wasteful with it. And the same goes for energy, probably, that uh, if somehow you can make it more visible and and people make them realize what it is, actually, um, that might be have a similar effect than raising prices, for instance. Because, of course, with raising prices, you always have like what happens to the poor. And um, so it gets complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, not everybody needs also, um, some people need more energy than others because, uh, well, they have a handicap or they have a disease or they live somewhere uh, far away or, but, um, yeah, we have to find a way to make people uh, more aware of energy. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I think an important point that in the next articles, uh, that's what I'm, I want to, uh, discover the possibilities. Well, Chris, one, really, oh, yeah, one go last ahead. question, Chris. Are you have you considered um, compiling your work into a book? Um, yeah, considered yes, but there's always so much work for other articles. <laughs> <laughs> it's important just to go forward. <laughs> yeah, somehow I I still didn't get to writing the book or compiling the book because so much writing has been done already. Because um, yeah, it's always more interesting to do to dive into a new uh, subject and to revisit what I al- already did. That's a bit uh, <laughs> well, a problem. And, and like I said, I, I, there's so many more things to write. So I think it will um, take a few more years because before there is a book. <laughs> I'm looking forward and, to and that also, book, so, I know, <laughs> by the way. That, so. will, that book will be on uh, yeah. Eric's Christmas list when, <laughs> when it, it comes is. out. <laughs> And I feel that some things I also, like I wrote about solar panels before, I, kind of every topic, every theme gets back like every five years. And then I noticed that I, I also learned a lot myself. So I don't feel yet that I'm there of saying like it's ready for a book. Yeah, that's that hard. Though. My, yeah. my, my thinking is still developing. So maybe it's a bit too early. Right. Mm. And I, I just love the, the, the concept, the, the, how a block works. You get, uh, when something's finished, you just publish it immediately and you get immediately feedback. And that's, um, yeah, with a book, it takes like, I don't know, it can take a year before it's right. uh, published. So, right. oh, yeah, no, we know. I'm also modern in a way, <laughs> instant gratification. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Chris, I really want to thank you for spending an hour with us. Yeah, we appreciate it so much. You're welcome and thanks for inviting me. That was Krista Decker. You can find Low Tech Magazine at lowtechmagazine.com. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcast automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. You can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website, which is rootsimple.com. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 